Outside a Thread is recorded on the unceded territory of the Wurundjeri people of the Eastern Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land I broadcast from. I recognise their ongoing legacy and connection to land, waters and culture, and pay respect to their elders, both past and present. I extend this respect to all other First Nations people of this continent, whose stolen land our infrastructure and digital connectivity is built upon. Hey, I'm Darcy, and you're listening to Outsider Thread. For this episode of Outsider, I sat down with Kayla Moon, the creative powerhouse behind Floristry Business X Floss and Stay Soft Studio, a co-working space and monthly market held at Collingwood Yards. Although they advertise as a florist, it might be more accurate to describe Kayla's work with flowers as botanical sculpture. Their ability to elevate floral arrangements to an art form was met with limitless demand, and has seen X-Floss design installations for clients such as the Australian Open, H&M, and Disney, to name just a few. Kayla's a Byron hippie turned successful city business person, and celebrates both facets of herself in equal measure. We discuss Kayla's personal evolution, and how she continues to find creative and spiritual fulfilment alongside commercial success. Okay, well, Kayla. Hi, baby. Hi, thank you so much for coming on and joining me. My pleasure, darling. Good to be here. Yeah, this is very exciting because I feel like I have known you for a while, but it's always good when I get to have a friend on and talk to them and learn more about them. I was actually thinking in bed last night about the first night we met, and I'm pretty sure it was at Michaela's Uh house, (laughs) and I slit my hand open. Oh, my Um, God, yeah. Do you remember that? I do, and we played that game where we all came up with different aliases for ourselves. Yeah. Mine was Audrey, I believe. Memorable evening in many ways. Yeah, lots of And your hand. Yeah, I actually still have the scar here. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, yeah, people dig scars, so... Yeah, people dig scars. Yeah, Yeah. you're just a tough bro. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, Kayla, I'll get you to start by if you can maybe tell me a bit about yourself and what you do now. Whew. Um, How long you got? (laughs) I've got all the time in the world. Um, Cool. Well, my name is Kayla Moon. I am um, a business owner, a small business owner and creative um, working on so-called Australian land, Sovereignty was never ceded, so um, blessings to that. And I have the privilege of, yeah, running two small businesses in Collingwood um, that are my creative endeavours with X Floss and Stay Soft Studio. Yeah. Mm. And what are the two creative endeavours, X Floss and Stay Soft? Um, well, one is a floristry brand and uh, one is a co-working space that also... Um, kind of is a multidisciplinary space in the sense that we also host like workshops and pop-ups there and have a market monthly as well that we attract um and host over like 40 to 70 stalls on Mm. a monthly basis of um local collectors makers artists um and yeah they all hire little stalls off us and sell their goods so it's like promoting local shopping and um yeah homegrown brands and 
Yeah. Yeah, and it's good. Anyone listening who lives in Melbourne or visits, you should definitely come and check it out. It's um very cool. But I'm curious. So yeah, very cute. And so Staysoft came after X Floss. So it's an interesting story because they kind of they are kind of like a little bit like conjoined twins. Mm. Um, Staysoft came after, but Staysoft became like came because of X Floss. Mm. So I don't know if you want me to get into that yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm keen to hear. We'll take yeah. take it. Um, so X Floss was originally just a creative project. I was working in a hospital florist at St. Vincent's just doing like the classic gerbera boxes with teddy bears and nappy cakes. Mm. And <laughs> so my creativity at the time was quite stifled, as you can imagine, but um, I really needed work. So that was all I could find at the time. Mm. And X Floss came out of the need for me to use flowers as a medium, which is what I believe they are to me. They're like a paint palette. 400,000 flowers in the world so it's a pretty big Mm. color spectrum to choose from um and yeah I had this idea to start putting flowers into the spaces that I was interested in which was you know art exhibitions festivals um the dance music scene and flowers weren't really in those spaces at the time this is like how old am I this is five six years ago Mm. So at the time that hadn't really been done yet and I was like, I'm just going to start putting them in these spaces and convincing people that they should be here. Yeah. Um, And I really wanted to, yeah, create something really unique um, in the form of decor through floristry and horticultural materials. And so I just started doing that through um, Waxo Paradiso, actually. Mm. Um, Me and my best friend at the time, uh, got asked to have a drink with them at the Arboria Float when they were playing there. Huh. And Simon and Ed sat us down and they said, okay, so we've got this show um, on this date at this venue, blah, blah, blah. Um, like, how can we tag you? Like, what's what's the business name? Like, how can we get in touch? And me and Ali looked at each other and we were like, we'll get back to you in an hour. <laughs> we had no business name. We yeah. had no um we had no Instagram, no nothing. We had mm. just started playing around essentially. And so we went for a bloody mary at the toff and were like, what the fuck do we call ourselves? And we went through a process of elimination where um we looked into the origin of the word flowers mm. and the Latin name for flowers is floss. Ah. And so we thought definitely incorporating that because the like business psychology around, you know, um, tr- a lot of trades and uh, like uh, businesses that you use whatever your product is in the title and it's good mm. for like branding. Yeah, and recognition. But we didn't want to use flowers or fleurs yeah, or yeah. blooms or yeah, all of these. Yeah, a bit more abstract. Yeah, and floss sounded like cute and a bit sexy too. Yeah. And also then we... Yeah, decided the like little um, prefix, I guess you could call it, um, would be cute as like X-rated flowers because we were doing like flowers after dark. Ah, okay. Yeah, so it was like kind of like this unique, sexy way to be like these are X-rated flowers. Mm. Um, And the kiss kiss as well is like a cute thing for copy because originally we were XX floss. And, yeah, represented me and Ali going Mm. into business together. Um, Anyway, so 
smash that wax oil event and then started getting more and more work mm. as I guess we started just like yeah really convincing people that we were something and that they needed us um and yeah it kind of started becoming like a proper business um and then we were operating out of the studio called flowers at the time which was on nicholson street in brunswick east and it was really cute and there was lots of sweethearts there but um it was quite poorly managed and i had this idea as somebody with a lot of Capricorn in my chart um, <laughs> that I could run it better. <laughs> and so I approached the management and was like, hey guys, like I'd be happy to do it for like a, you know, trade for rent. Yeah. Like you don't even have to pay me. Like I'm here every day. Like I'm happy to do it. And they were just like, KG, no, nah, it's their business. Mm. Fair enough. So I was like, no worries. I'm out of here because mm -hmm. we needed more space. I just yeah, wasn't happy with the way it was running. And they were angels, but like just in terms of a work thing, I was like, no. Yeah. So I went on creative spaces and then I found this huge warehouse next to Triple R on Nicholson Street, which was ah, literally a few doors up. Yeah. And um, upstairs got shown around by a private, pretty dodgy looking landlord. Um, that I won't name, but he's a <laughs> shoemaker and kind of seems like a Tim Burton character. Um, really funny. And um, he showed me around and I was just in love. I was mm. obsessed. The way that the light came through and the big open spaces that had a photo studio installed, like it was just amazing. And um, at the time I was having sex with Liam mm -hmm. and we had started partying together and getting close and he was finishing his contract at lounge mm -hmm. and he was freaking out about what he was going to do with his career next and we'd been chatting about that on our way to Golden Plains at kick-ons and all these different so things. So just to interject quickly, Liam's yep. your ex-partner but what was he doing at lounge before? He was doing band booking and operations uh, and yeah. um think a few maybe accounting as well mm -hmm. he was like he was the guy of all trades yeah yeah he was running that horse completely mm -hmm. yeah and yeah so I was like well he's got all of this incredible experience with like events and running a business and I looked at the space and I was like I can't afford it just for flowers what if I create a whole other business idea and I open a co-working space mm. and I rent it out to heaps of people? Because um, at the time I also had lots of friends I was working with, collaborating with, and they were all just working from home or like mm. studios that were kind of shitty. And so I asked Liam if he could have a business meeting with me. And I went into the city and sat him down in front of a presentation and as I said, like, we were, like, literally casually sleeping together. <laughs> like, he was like, what the fuck is happening, Kayla? And I was like, shh, 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 shh. Just sit show. down, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and um, opened up my, like, you know, Google Slides. And I was like, stay soft studio. Oh, my god! What do you think? Yeah. Um, it would house x Floss, and I already had all the residents mm -hmm. in mind that I wanted in there. Um, and I had like a layout and like a, a whole, all of it sorted. And I just needed a business partner and extra money and extra resources mm -hmm. that came in the form of him. And he was like, all right, 
okay, wild, wasn't expecting this, but I'll call you tonight and let you know my answer. Mm. And I was like, okay, no worries. And then he called me that night and he was like, let's do it. And I was like, okay, we should stop fucking. And yeah. he was like, yeah. And then yeah. we did. <laughs> and then we were business partners um, in that venture and we opened Staysoft and it was amazing. Like we, yeah, did it all with our bare hands. Okay. So Staysoft now exists at Collingwood Guards, but this yeah. is the first iteration. In Brunswick And, and it's so funny because hearing you say this, <laughs> when I was little Melbourne Bibby in mm. 2018, I have been to your Staysoft place i went to an absolute smash of a kind of like studio party there i remember it was like when posture and schaefer were first starting and there was a runway and it was just so like melbourne nam moment like i remember being there and being like whooshka like so um like club rat someone was giving tattoos yeah you were like i belong here i'm so glad i have arrived that is so funny that that was was our first studio studio. yeah because that was long before i actually met you yeah Wow. Yeah, so we had a lot of those very Nam core, yeah. <laughs> if you can still say that, yeah. um, events there, which, yeah, were incredible because it was a bit of a dodgy, like... Such a dodgy looking space. Like yeah. It was, um, I don't, yeah, that it's like dark. It looks, the top I'm sure is nice in the daytime, but it's like this big kind of like, it looks kind of like Kynes, if anyone knows that. Like, yeah, like what? Like Kynes, like this, the that like cavernous like yeah. garage setup. Wow. Okay. So big change moving to stay soft in Collingwood Yards though. Because, yeah, we really grew up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious to hear about that because I think that that shift was like so significant. I just mean like the birth of Collingwood Yards, like that was kind of like a linchpin moment in the culture scene and it was 100%. also yeah and it was also a lot of your friends who got involved I know it's Pete and um yeah Jack Pete and Jack who run Hope Street Radio and yep. also runner up lots of friends involved in that so yep. how did that go and how did that come about with Collingwood Yards who was running that when it started so I was at a oh god it's all so incestuous um, <laughs> <laughs> So I was at a long lunch mm-hmm. at Sonny and Pete's house, which is where I live now. Yeah. At the time, I didn't live there. And I got chatting um, to a guy called Ed Service, who is um, one half of Shouse. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. And he was the tenant manager for the Collingwood Arts Precinct, which is the over-governing body, yeah. the um, NFP that uh, runs Collingwood Yards. And him and I were just like drinking wine in the grass, eating oysters. Jack and Pete were cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really beautiful tipsy day. And I was just like going on about how grungy my warehouse was and how it doesn't represent the flowers that mm. I was moving towards and the clients that I was wanting to get. And I was like, I've just outgrown it. Like, I love it. It's been beautiful. But like, no one can see me. Like, you have to go up these dusty stairs. Yeah. And Ed was like, you know, with his wine glass. <laughs> I've got one tenancy left to rent, actually. He's like, come see it on Monday. And I was like, okay, let's go. Um, so stroll into the Collingwood Yards. I hadn't been there for ages. They used to run a few events when it was closed before mm. um, the birth of what it is now. Um, actually, full circle, Waxo Paradiso uh, had the first event we ever did for them was there. Mm. So those flowers I was oh, talking okay. about on the Arbory yeah. were the flowers we did at the <laughs> Collingwood Yards for Waxo before it was very the Collingwood circular, Yards. Very circular, yeah. yeah. Um, 
And so I was like, oh, familiar with the space, but the government or and philanthropists had put in like 22 million to the build. So it had like been, um, it had been uh, separated into all different tenancies and yeah, really beautifully and architecturally done. And yeah, I just again called Liam and I was like, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I found another space. Mm. And he was like, fucking hell. And at, right. so at this point, Staysoft was functioning well and profitably as a business yeah. in the Brunswick. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's never been like that much for profit as it is like Liam gets an office and I get a workspace. So yeah. it's like, it's you know, we pay ourselves a very small wage and it's definitely like profitable business, but it's just more like a, it's a, like supports us, Yeah, you know, like, definitely. or else he'd be renting an office somewhere and I'd be renting a shop somewhere. But instead we've got this whole other business that yeah. brings us happiness and, and you get brings to contribute. us. Yeah, exactly. I get, a very, I get a very strong sense from you that you do it for the culture, especially definitely. with like when you're at Stay Soft in the markets, that's like when you're at your happiest. Yes, yeah. you're right. Very much so. Yeah, it's community engagement for me very mm. much because, yeah, flowers are one thing, but you kind of do them and leave, whereas Stay Soft is more like, you know, collaborating with people, working with the community, and there's a lot more, um, yeah, avenues for community engagement through that platform. Um but yeah, so then showed Liam through again and he loved it. And so, yeah, we signed the lease and the idea was, yeah, to upgrade and give all of our like existing tenants, you know, um, a more beautiful space mm. and bigger windows and like be part of the Collingwood Yards because <clears throat> at that time we had no idea what it was going to be. Yeah. And, but we just knew that it would be a beautiful community to and be a part of. And lots of mates involved already. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, Pete and Jack hadn't got the lease then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we didn't know, um, but... We knew a couple people from the social studio and Tantry and like not well, but just from around and mm. who they had in there already was sounding good yeah. and beautiful and diverse and all the good things. So we were like sick. Um, it wasn't until a little bit later that Pete and Jack got it, which yeah. was just like the cherry on the cake as yeah. well. Um, because I'd just known, obviously, Hope Street Radio to be like, you know, at rooftop in the afternoons as it always was yeah. before or like... um. At Laser Pig, when Laser Pig was still open, they used to have Hope Street Sundays there and they'd just have DJs and it was just Pete's passion project. Yeah. And it was just a cute online radio station like Skylab Radio or NTS. Well, to go on a tangent there for a second, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because as kind of like a Melbourne newcomer, it's su- your host Street Radio is obviously such a phenomenon. And I had yeah. heard about it at Laser Pig, but do you know how the evolution worked from going yeah. from there to actually becoming a restaurant? Yeah, so... I mean, Pete's always been into cooking and got into cooking, especially through having kids and like the need to cook Mm. more so. Um, And when the kids were little, Sonny was working and um, Pete, um, yeah, got really really into cooking for the family and just found like such a love for it. Um, And Jack is his best friend and he has always been into cooking as well. And I think that, you know, through their events with Hope Street, which was just Pete at the time, Mm. um, you know, they just started having ideas about how they could have an like proper established online radio where 
it was a physical place and they mm. said, well, why don't we do it with food? Because that's mm. what our passion is now. And it can be, you know, food and music, all live, all physical, because um, obviously it's all online, but it's like actually somewhere where people can be yeah, and congregate. at public radio, yeah. like full public radio. You know, it's like we have such incredible radio stations here and it's all public, but not to the point where you can physically yeah. be there when people are recording their radio shows. Exactly. So it's pretty amazing, yeah. Yeah, and this most special part, I feel, is that there's actually, like, no limitation to being able to access the venue as well, just with the seats, as in accessibility could probably be improved somewhat in every way, but with, like, anyone can be there because anyone can stand in the courtyard and have a wine and listen to it, which to me is so cool because where else... Even in, like, I don't know anywhere else where you can go and you can actually just always get a table or get a spot. Totally. Very cool. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah, and I feel like the courtyard is just such a beautiful public space that we have. Yeah. And also, um, a lot of people don't know it to be a public space. Like, from the outside, it kind of looks like Collingwood Yards is a bit intimidating, um, but for anyone listening please go and have lunch there if you work in Collingwood because there's beautiful trees and benches and like use it because Mm. we don't have many parks um around Collingwood um and Fitzroy except the Edinburgh Gardens Mm. and then some like cute little side street ones but it's such a beautiful place to be really is yeah yeah um, so yeah, where are we? Where well, we all where we the go? Birth of Collingwood Arts Precinct. Yes. So I guess you moved in and everything. Yeah. Jumped. So we moved in and then we went into lockdown. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So no, it didn't quite Jumped. poof like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't go poof. Um, as we were expecting, nothing did, as everyone remembers. Sorry to remind you. Um <laughs> Um, but yeah, we moved in and then literally it was lockdown like a couple of mm. weeks later. So we didn't even set up. Yeah. We like got the keys, moved a few things over, but because we were still keeping Brunswick um, as an existing practicing place, we had two studios for a uh, while. Yeah. Um, we just decided not to set up until after the lockdowns mm-hmm. um, and we got like a full rent yeah. relief, which was great. Um, and yeah, we had to shut, obviously we couldn't open one studio and we had to shut the other. And then that was obviously just a shit fight for the next two years or a year and a half or whatever it was. Um, so we slowly set up in lockdowns. Liam and I were permitted workers at the time because I was able to trade flowers, pick Mm -hmm. up and deliveries. I think you got some, didn't you? A delivery? Potentially. I I don't know. I bought a a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think I remember seeing a photo of you in one of my delivered drivers, yeah. like iPhone shots. Uh. Um, and Liam was my delivery driver. Okay. Um, yeah. Which is, um, yeah, the piece of how we actually ended up back together. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then we traded out of there just ex floss and didn't set up the co-working space at all and then slowly pete and jack were like starting to set up hope street and everyone was starting to kind of like it was a bit of a construction site over lockdown which kind of worked perfectly because we there wasn't many people around and we were able to just like set up slowly and obviously a lot of us were struggling financially so we could just do things at like a very minimal pace Mm. um 
And then it was really exciting when obviously the world opened up more and we could actually start having markets and yeah. Hope Street Radio opened and all of our residents could come in and work from the office. Like it was the best feeling ever after months of no togetherness. And like um, especially I just literally – this is full circle as well. I had – Simon TK from Waxo working as my flower assistant and then huh. Liam delivering all the flowers for me. So it was just us three pretty much in there. Mm. And I was really lucky to be able to work Monday to Friday in that period and um, actually and have somewhere busy. to go other yeah. than my small apartment in Carlton at the time. Um, but yeah, so the, what did you, what was the word you use? A zhuzh. Oh, it's zhuzh. <laughs> yeah, it the, the didn't zhuzh for yeah. a while, but when it did, it was amazing. And I think we celebrated with, yeah, Colour Club um, had an open air there, which was like the first big party. Yeah. And then we started having big markets and they went off because yeah. everyone was like so excited to be beginning. out. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, on average, we do okay on the bar at a market, but like those markets were the best we ever did mm. straight out of COVID because everyone was just like, rah, 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 yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, the Georges well and truly happened now for mm. sure. We're all pretty comfortable in there. Okay, I see. So the practice has emerged. Stay soft, X floss together, conjoined. And so I guess since then, it's been almost like three years since COVID and you've seen a lot of development for your business. What has that looked like? How has it evolved over time? I guess maybe now you're a sole operator of mm. X floss. Um, how's the creative practice evolved? Yeah, so um, also in lockdown, Ali, my business partner and best friend at the time, um, just like could not hack another like when we went into stage four she was like fuck this I'm driving to Byron and I yeah. was like yeah no fucking worries like mm. I mean I was devastated but I was yeah, also like yeah I was like okay I am gonna be living alone running my business alone it's stage four lockdown it's fine I'll be <laughs> fine <laughs> um but it actually was a really beautiful time for me because um I mean it was you know, simultaneously really fucking hard. But uh, I tried to take what I could and recognize my privilege in that area and so wanted to do, spread as much, you know, love as possible. And I was like, well, I'm just going to start doing pickups and deliveries and just give people bright, fresh flowers and at least that's a way they can stay in communication and contact with each other through physicality, through the flowers. Mm. And it just went fucking off. Yeah. Um, it was crazy. Like, I was getting orders because I was doing Everlastings as well. I was getting orders from, like, LA and Shanghai and Paris. Oh, And I wow. was, like, packaging up literally, like, little, like, express post um, things, packages of X Floss like all over the world. Oh my god! And so, yeah. I, and I was just yeah feeling really lucky and privileged to be able to go to work every day and work with color and plants and see Simon and Liam and yeah have all these beautiful people receiving um, flowers and stay connected to the world and the community in that way and you know even just tagging people people would tag us in. Instagram posts and whatever and send nice emails and it felt like I had community around even when it was really hard not to. Hmm. Um, and so then, yeah, the business grew a lot in lockdown um, and I guess because everyone was on Instagram all the time as well. So it was like an easy way, easy time for everyone to really like be watching. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I also started trading goods with like um, a few consignment 
babies or femmes. Um, I was selling clumsy cushions and um, Hillary Green candelabras and had like a bunch of hotties um, selling through Exfos as well, which felt really nice. Mm. Um, and then, I mean, by the time lockdown ended, I was just so fucking ready to make something big. Like I get this feeling in my hands, like a tingling in my hands when I haven't like built an install for mm. a while and it's like palpable it's yeah, like I like the electricity oh, and like I was so over making bouquets like, yeah I was also like okay bitch this has been great but like give me something big now so it was really exciting when we came out of lockdown and the business had grown so I'd got heaps of inquiries for you know um stages, art exhibitions, um, the Australian Open got in touch, who are ongoing client of mine now. Um, lots of like, you know, um, big kind of like H&M, Gorman, like just crazy commercial brands that I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, uh, when did this happen? Yeah. Um, in lockdown because everyone was getting little flowers. So all these people who were, you know, creative producers and went back to work, maybe they got flowers in lockdown and it was really great promotion for Mm. me. Um, And then, yeah, I was able to start making big things again and that was just amazing. It was like the best feeling in the world to be able to like get in my van and fill up fill it up with flowers and chicken wire and get back on a stage and have to work with the lighting guys and the sound guys and just like be back in oh my god yeah. bro <laughs> it's, it's really interesting to hear um about you getting contracted for all of these bigger projects do you feel like prior to you starting your business that this kind of like conceptually driven forestry was very present or it was a lot less no. so no it wasn't so no. even in the ao and like h&m and stuff like that it just wasn't yeah yeah interesting when i first started floristry which was um 28 so 10 years ago when i first started studying like there was not this sort of like more conceptual installation style floristry except for a very few people it was like Cecilia Fox Katie Marks Hattie Malloy was starting and some incredible people overseas as well Birch Mm. Floral Renko Floral um and they were all people I found and I was like why isn't there more of this like there is so like it's so niche yeah and I was like this is what I want to do I don't like this I don't want to do bouquets yeah flowers have always been a medium to me and yeah I always think like quite big and large scale and but yeah it wasn't very present and that's why I started the creative project when I was working at the hospital florist because I was like I just got to show people what it can bring to a yeah. space because they don't fucking know <laughs> and they haven't seen it. But I follow these five, six people and I've seen it and mm. I know it's good. And you want to share it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I feel like, you know, we've skipped a few steps here, but the common themes that I'm getting from you are like a very strong business acumen with identifying when there's a gap in the market and mm. being able to fill that, whether it's like creative or actually with a studio or something like that. But also similarly, it's as building culturally building things that aren't necessarily just for your own financial benefit but also for benefiting the city as a whole and like adding to the culture which is pretty amazing I think oh Um, thanks I hope so (laughs) I definitely think so you know I think pretty much everyone who lives in the inner north would be familiar with your work or whether it's stay soft or 
X flaws. So it's had an oh, indelible impact for sure. Red. Yeah, they better be red. <laughs> um, but I want to go back a few steps because I feel like this really strong creative drive obviously comes from somewhere. Can you talk me through maybe your upbringing and where you were born up to the point of when you were working in the florist um, at the hospital before then? Yeah. Um, so get this, and my birth certificate says Kayla Rose Moon, born on Gardenia Street in Garden Vale. <laughs> like, you could not even write that shit. <laughs> so I think I was just his destiny, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I grew up with a single mom. Um, she had me at a very young age. Um, it was beautiful as it was difficult. Um, we moved around a lot, but mainly within like the Byron Shire, Northern mm-hmm. Rivers. Um, she's very out there and is a huge hippie. So that's where her people were and where other single mums were. And it was less like, you know, this is late 90s, early 2000s. So it was way less taboo to be a single hippie mum in that area yeah you know it was accepted and she was accepted there and she was definitely very different to because we we i was born in melbourne but yeah she just really struggled here um she had me when she she turned 21 and then had me two weeks later so very young yeah Yeah. um and yeah so growing up in byron definitely was like an incredible experience and an also pretty dark one at times as well like Byron uh was very low socioeconomic when I was growing up um the wealth disparity there is pretty uh evident especially now as you know I'm sure most a lot of people are familiar with it and how much it's changed but when I was young it was pretty rough and um you know like I went to school with um yeah, most people came from broken homes or abusive homes, um, including myself. And, yeah, the kids were angry. Mm. Lots of kids were fucking angry. Lots of kids had no direction, not very good guardianship or, you know, were dealing with abuse in their homes. So I used to go to, like, we all started partying when we were pretty young, like 13, 14, and we used to go to doofs and parties and stuff where people were pulling knives on each other and knuckle dusters mm. and, like, it was hectic. Yeah, <laughs> like, I got really yeah. badly bullied to the point where I, like, got pushed downstairs, got spat in the face, like, broke my ankle. Like, so it was brutal. rough. Like, yeah. everyone's like, oh, my God, Byron, that must have been amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. Two sides of the coin. Yeah, yeah, and it was. Like, that's why I'm so glad, like, I was dealing with that. And, you know, mum's, like, mum's shitty long line of abusive boyfriends and whatever. But then also had the beach and Mm. nature. And, you know, mum also had a beautiful circle of hippie women friends. And they would, like, do little ceremonies when we got our periods and, like, (laughs) put crystals on our bed. And, like, so it was really quite a dichotomy is that the mm, right word like yeah, a paradox yeah like, I was able to see so much beauty and get so much like I guess positivity out of like nature and like you know uh alternative way of living but then on the other side of it there was like yeah a lot of rough hard shit to deal with Mm. and that that spirituality that you grew up with because I didn't come from a very spiritual background do you Mm. feel like that's gifted you with kind of like a resilience or hell yeah 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 I think as well like just like looking around and seeing 
so many different types of people and like ways of living that were not traditional. Mm. Like I grew up on Hare Krishna farms and then sannyasin communities and then in housefuls of single mums that were like all renting together and like I got to see so many different types of ways of living mm. so young. So like there was nothing conventional about my upbringing at all which and like your question I guess ties into like that's what has given me that resilience too. Like it's the spiritual aspect. I'm definitely a spiritual person and I took spirituality, you know, from all of the different schools of thought my mum was interested in, which was mm. many, but it was also just seeing like full unconventional lifestyles everywhere all the time. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that that um, like the massive difference in lifestyles get, kind of gave you an unconstrained perception of what's possible as well? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 100%. Like I was like I even though I'd been like beaten down a lot and struggled a lot I was like I'm, I can do anything because mm. I've seen especially femme people with wombs who've had it really fucking rough and still have it really rough do anything yeah you know yeah so it was pretty cool yeah yeah and coming of age in Byron what was next um so yeah I found a really incredible group of friends when I was about 15 16 in Byron that were just like amazing creatives and I finally found my spot at a little Steiner school after being badly bullied at the public school and um yeah, it was definitely, like, you know, taking a lot of drugs and drinking pretty heavily for a teenager, but was also, like, camping a lot and going mm. to the rivers the and making again. art again yeah. constantly in my life. Um, and I was just feeling quite, like, stifled um, and, like, stuck. A lot of my friends were older and was starting to move to Melbourne or Berlin or, like, whatever they were doing. And... Um, yeah, me and mum were having a really hard time. She had a really horrible partner at the time that I couldn't stand and he was living with us and it was just bad. Mm. And, um, yeah, it was really hard, but I just decided that I needed to move to Melbourne. I was like, I'm done. Like, I had to leave my little sister, which was really horrible. Mm. Um, she's six years younger than me and it's like my baby. Um but yeah, I just decided I needed to go. Like I tried to move up a year at Steiner school so that I could be more challenged. Mm. Um, and Steiner has a belief that, you know, uh, people should stay at the age of their development. Um, so I couldn't move up even though I passed the test, mm. got straight A's and they still said no. So I was like, fuck you guys, I'm moving to Melbourne. And so I did, and I moved in with my dad for a couple of months. How old were you at this point? Uh, I was just turned 17. Yeah. Yeah, so I was 16 turning 17, um, turned 17 down here, and then lived with dad for a couple of months, but him and his wife were having a baby, and I was still just like, oh, I don't really belong Not here. Not place for you, yeah. And, but it was nice to live with my dad for a little because I'd never lived with him in my life. Mm. Um, and then I moved out into a share house on Kerr Street across the road from the Evelyn. <laughs> um, and it was intense. <laughs> it was like, um, I don't know if um, anyone has seen Dogs in Space, but um, it was giving that, which is a Michael Hutchins movie set in St Kilda in the 90s. And it was like 
I thought it was amazing because it was just like random art on the walls and like condoms on the floor oh. and bottles of alcohol everywhere. <laughs> but I was just like, this is what I want. Like I was yeah. obsessed with like 24 hour party people and like the San Francisco scene in the 60s. And Definitely. like, that's all I wanted. Like I was like such a like, I had this projection of my life. I think that I was the same when I moved to Melbourne. I think it's like this sense, I don't know if you feel the same, but it, when I first moved here, it was like this sense of mystique and infinity that mm-hmm. was here. It seemed like anything was possible and mm-hmm. there was always more to discover. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I like, I just remember being on trams then and like, I, I didn't even have an I- iPhone, I had an iPod and like listening to this song called Welcome Home and just like looking out at the city on the tram by myself with like my ukulele and my oh, camera. So, <laughs> so very um, Byron. Oh yeah. my God, I was so fucking Byron. I was such a little hippie babe. Like literally, yeah, would go and busk on Chapel Street to make money for my rent. True. Because I was underage, like it was really hard to find jobs. Yeah. Like no one would really hire me. I dropped out of high school, like... It was, yeah, I had to lie about my age um, pretty much everywhere I went. Um, I got a job, like, got jobs at um, Babker and different, like, retail places on Brunswick Street or in the city and whatever. And um, always, everyone always thought I was 18, but mm. I was not. Um, and, but yeah, so did lots of busking, lots of photo taking, lots of art making, lots of partying. Um, and yeah, just try. I was just obsessed with making it in the art scene, essentially. Mm. Um, and I got this pretty crazy opportunity really young um, through my uncle who owns bars in Melbourne. Um, he owned Secret Garden and Cushion, which is way before our time, but he was quite a successful venue owner. Mm. And his conglomerate had a bar on the corner of Gertrude and Smith Street just sitting there. Mm. And me and my partner at the time were throwing warehouse parties, which, again, I guess looking back now after what you've said, it was a gap in the market at the time. There wasn't warehouse parties that were playing punk music and psych music. And we were, like, hanging out with, like, the guys from Pond and, like, um, King Gizzard and all those guys, drunk mums. And so we were, like, we'll put start putting on warehouse parties for punks and psych people. And so we were selling out, like... 500 person warehouse parties and my uncle noticed it and was like I've got this space do you guys want to like be the bookers and fit it out and like be the brand and we'll fund it and we'll pay you a wage and I was 17 and I was like well hell yeah this 24 hour party people projection I had just came real yeah um, and so we started doing that and we called it Alia Art House and it was crazy. We, our brand was called Bonnie and Clyde and it was insane. It was like Wednesday to Saturday we ran um, five band lineups from like 10 till 3 in the morning and it was like, it was sick. It was fun and dirty and crazy and yeah, I ended up getting out of that because I was just like, heavy on the drugs Mm. I was like 17 I just got given this opportunity I was getting paid to book bands I was like hanging out with all these like semi-famous people and it was too much it's intoxicating yeah it was intoxicating yeah yep (laughs) (laughs) yes it was and I was yeah dating this guy and we were like hopelessly in love hopeless altogether um 
And yeah, at that time I was like quite also quite broken from parts in my life that I hadn't, you know, resolved. I definitely needed a lot of therapy and a lot of help. And I was quite angry and sad about my relationship with my parents and different partners they'd had and just so many things. And so, yeah, I got like super addicted to drugs and was like 45 kilos and was not doing well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's when I found floristry. I see. Yeah. And so you were at St. Vincent's then and then? No, uh, that was later. But I just decided to book myself into a floristry course on my beautiful mother's um, advice. I called her. We hadn't been doing well, but I realized that I needed to fix my relationship with her and like, you know, get through that. And she was like, you should just do floristry. Mm. Like it's connected to nature. It's creative, but it's also a way you can make money. Like weddings are always going to happen, you know, blah, blah. And that's when I found it. And I just like got obsessed. I'd never found anything that like lit up my brain like that in my Mm. life. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like floristry is such an intersection of both, like, yeah, your spiritual and creative sides, because it is one of the few art forms that it's like you're using organic matter as a your canvas to make mm. art with, which is very interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty wild relationship to work with the perishable and nature and make sure that it's as ethical as possible and, you know, that like my medium is always dying essentially Mm. and there's something about that that's macabre that I love (laughs) yeah appeals to the punk side a little bit I guess absolutely yeah Uh, yeah. and um yeah I think that the it's just so malleable in your hands as well and like it really I have such a intrinsic relationship to nature and I always have like growing up in places like the northern rivers like I'd always just you know I grew up in like the back of caravans and old trucks and teepees and stuff and it's like living in the city in such a harsh environment and being able to have that and touch that every day is like so grounding grounding Mm. for me and makes me feel like myself you know like that definitely connects me to my spirituality and yeah gives me like just makes me feel like who I am Mm. Mm. Cool. And I also guess now is a good time to reflect on some of the cool stuff that you've done in the previous couple of years that I've noticed that I just wanted to ask you a bit about. Cute. I know that um, this year you kind of had a landmark or super proud moment for yourself exhibiting at the NGV. Yes. Yeah. Could you tell me a bit about that, how it came about and what it was? Totally. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that was pretty wild and um, a big learning curve for me. Um, the NGV got in touch probably like last September, October, um, by cold email. And I was so like starstruck by Mm. the establishment, um, that I just went, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. And you know, they'd written this huge wordy email and I just went, yes, yes, yes. And, um, didn't really kind of look into what it actually was, (laughs) but I just knew that they wanted me to display an install. Mm. And then as, like, the process kind of kept going, I was like, oh, I'm not getting paid for this. Ah, okay. Okay. So what the NGV actually was, was a fundraiser set up by an offshoot of the NGV, which is an... NGV Women's... Association, um, who are a non-for-profit organisation that work within the interests of the NGV. 
Mm. Sounds sus. It's yeah. so fucking sus, yeah. bro. I'm like, <laughs> I sent them the design brief with the quote. They didn't mention anything. And then a couple months later, I was like, how'd you go with the quote? And they were like, oh, no, no, no. Like, it's not paid. Um, you get pretty much exposure and like... No stipend. Yeah. And I, I thought to myself, okay, well, if I'm exhibiting at the NGV, I'm going to have to spend a lot of money to make something that is... Worth exhibiting. Worth exhibiting. Um, and the, like they told me later in the piece... And I'd already locked in and already started promoting and whatever. Um, so that was something I had to swallow. Mm. Um, and then as as it grew closer and closer, I was so busy at the time because event season was wild this year. And, you know, I was thinking about my design and not really the whole, I guess, event in its entirety. Mm. And after doing the event, I processed what had really happened and actually didn't agree with it. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's why it was a big learning curve for me because essentially what happened was all of the artists, the floral artists involved, supply the NGV with an installation for three days in which people can buy tickets to. Um, the opening night was $350 per ticket and there was like over a thousand people there. Mm. The second and third day tickets are like between 30 and 45. Um, we weren't offered materials, compensation, commission, anything. So essentially I paid to put my work at the NGV mm. upon their preference of floral artist, the top that they say 25 in Australia at the time, which is... You know, a great letterhead, but at the end of the day, I put $10,000 into that. Mm. And in upon reflection, I feel like I could probably have done more with that money that I'd saved for my business. You know, like for a small business, that's a large amount of our savings. And it's um, it was an amazing experience seeing like, X-Floss up in lights on like 40 metres of, you know, projection screen and having thousands of people coming to see our work and feeling this like uppity, I guess, status of mm. being like, I've got Respect. my work at yeah, the NGV. Yeah. But I don't know if it actually did that much and I don't actually know if it's what I agree with. Well, I know it's not what I agree with actually. And I'm a part of such a different art world that we do things so differently and help each other so much and have really good values and are trying to actually change shit and, like, you know, from back of house as well, not just on this, like, performative level. Mm. And so, yeah, it was a big learning curve for me because the next time that uh, establishment gets in touch and asked me to do something for free, I'll think about it quite mm. a bit because I also want to think about where my money's going, right? I just essentially bought the NGV more art. Yeah. So where that money went was to invest in buying the NGV more art for their own collection. I, if I was part of a, if like if I'd thought about it more, I wouldn't actually want to be part of a charity event that was giving money to a well-off art mogul. Yeah. I would be wanting to give it to 
like a trans organization or an indigenous organization or things that I actually really care about deeply and that are like you know needing funding a charity on- that's in need not yeah exactly yeah so the NGV was a weird one, really weird one for me. Interesting, yeah. Duality again. Like, it was cool to a degree, but also at the end of the day, I wish now that I had have looked into it more, but I was starry-eyed. Yeah, oh, it's so interesting because, yeah, I can definitely see from your perspective the feeling of, like, vindication or something that, like, what a moment it would be to exhibit in the NGV, mm-hmm. but how somehow symptomatic is it of our society that this like they exploited you 100%. yeah and six different artists for their own benefit because that yeah the ngv women's association like i the reason that i know about it is because i knew someone who their pet family was involved in that they're like drip you know that this really? association itself is like dripping in money so that's very um uh-huh. very interesting to hear but i guess it's like the art world through and through and that's the thing and like i did a reveal on tiktok about this and got a conversation going and people went off about it because my question on TikTok and in general um, is, you know, like, is this still something we are doing? Like, are we still exploiting young artists or any artists, diverse artists? Like my friend Sean um, was a part of it and my friend um, Matthew John and like, we're all queer or indigenous. Mm. And it's like, and we're all under the age of 30. And the NGV... Is an institution. Is an institution. Like, I know that Lindsay Fox just gave them $100 million. Pretty sure they could have covered our materials. And they used us, the queer and Indigenous people that were part of it, as... To sell the the show. To sell the fucking show. We got the most interviews, blah, 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 which was good for us in, you know inverted commas yeah but i haven't had one email being like i saw your work at the ngv i'm getting in touch i've just had my general regular because i think what it actually did is othered us a little bit from other florists i've had more emails being like oh sorry i don't know if you do this because people think i'm such a big artist Mm. so it's actually made it it's like a weird it was a weird promotion because it made people think that I was at a level that they can't reach anymore. Yeah. It seems to me so out of touch because it's it almost so like... It's so out of touch, obviously, <laughs> but it's like they've exploited your dynamism and, like, diversity as a group of creatives. But instead of, like, actually creating a relationship that you could continue to develop, they've chosen to, like, literally exploit you as a one-off, which almost seems to me to highlight that they're not actually meaningfully interacting with you as artists. They more tokenistically wanted to, like, harness mm-hmm. your identity and artistic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, mm-hmm. I'll leave Things that. Things to think about. I'll leave that with the listeners to think yeah. about. Yes, very, very interesting. Um, yeah. But maybe that's a good segue if you can tell me about another career highlight that was maybe a bit more positive. Do you Absolutely. have it? Yeah, any experiences recently that you've had that have been pretty outstanding or surreal moments? Heaps. Mm. Can I pee? I mean, my first, like, huge highlight moment was Dark Mofo. Mm. That was when I was like, oh, my goodness, this is exactly where I wanted to be. And I looked around every morning we were there and just couldn't believe that I was existing in that realm, that Mm. I was 
<clears throat> an artist who had gotten paid to travel on a ferry over with my van and my team. I had a photographer and a projection artist and Ali and we were able to stay in beautiful Airbnbs and we did like three installations while we were down there over the dark mofo period and to just be like in an immersive art scene for a huge like you know very niche festival it's amazing yeah. was amazing like mm. I just yeah look back on that so fondly and I was uh what was I 24 25 at the time and I was just like so fresh-faced and so excited every yeah. day um and yeah we did the entrance for the Odeon theater which was where oh yeah so many people like incredible artists played and we got to do the stage for Sampa the Great um and that led on to doing her stages for a year or so thereafter which was another incredible moment um but yeah that was definitely like one of the first really big like oh my god um and then definitely the Australian Open as well. That was surreal. Like I got a cold email as well from Sarah White. Um, very small, like no signature. Like I almost thought it was fake. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she was like, oh, hey, I'm just getting in touch about the Australian Open flowers. And I was like, there's no signature here. Like is someone fucking bullshitting me? Mm. That's like the biggest sporting event in Australia, in the Southern Hemisphere. Like insane. And... Yeah, doing that the first year and second year and we're doing it for the th a third year. We're in a, like, three-year contract with them was and is insane. Um, you know, I'm not big into sports. <laughs> um, I don't really know tennis players or anything, but it was one of those moments where I feel like, you know, my extended family took me seriously. Mm. Like, Dark Mofo to them is... Whatever. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah. Dark Mofo to me is their Australian Open. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I guess it was that moment of kind of like not proving – I guess, no, yeah, actually I still had a lot to prove at 25, 26 <laughs> um, where I was like, look what I'm doing. Like I'm a serious person. Like I've made it, you know. Mm. Um, I'm doing the Australian Open. <clears throat> and actually just having to conceive of the output of the scale we do there is really self – affirming and fulfilling to know that I can run an operation that like we do you know like at least 12 spaces a year of large-scale floral um, installations and I have five to ten staff over that period and we block out our whole month to do it and then we refresh it for a whole another three weeks mm. and we start talking to them six months ahead of it and it's like a huge treatment constant massive delivery yeah, yeah. so that's incredible because it's like yeah, that really kind of self-affirming, like, oh, my God, I can do this. Like, I can do something at that level. Like, that's wild. Mm. Um, and, <clears throat> yeah, and then besides that, like, just little moments here and there, like, you know, doing something for Melbourne Fashion Festival, um, like, last year was an incredible feeling too, like, going to a runway and seeing, you know, my friends that are models, like, walking, you know, besides my flowers and being invited to those events as well. Like, I think, yeah, being able to see the, the guts of all of these huge quintessential Victorian events um, is pretty special and being back of house at, like, you know, 
from and like something corporate to the health and safety awards to you know a RMIT graduate show is like I get to see so many incredible things happening because I finally convinced people that that they should get the flowers yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so that's I always love those moments too just like getting in huge elevators and getting all of the trolleys and the hydraulics on the trucks and like mm, and just being in that space yeah, yeah it's my favorite space to be um and yeah I think yeah having like musicians like we've had you know Sampa and Kite if I'm pronouncing that correctly um K-H-Y-A is that it's like K A K A A I I T. Mm, yeah. Okay. An amazing um, queer artist. And um, yeah, mild life and like just really incredible people like singing next to our flowers or performing next to our flowers and um, even just doing like influencer lunches and stuff. And there's like, you know, famous celebrities there and they're just like eating next to our flowers and I'm always like oh my god what the fuck like the hell so yeah I think there's many moments I think I'm always pretty excited and and astonished like I've never really got to a point where I'm like like even though before when I said oh I've made it like with the Australian Open like it's still not easy to process for me like I'm still not jaded I don't think so, no. Uh, definitely not. Yeah. I came from pretty much nothing, so mm. and I've worked my ass off to get here. So, like, I'm still kind of like the little 11-year-old person inside me looking at it being like, oh, my God, babe, you convinced them. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. I'm still like, what the fuck? Mm. Like, I, I've got, you know, I have good confidence and so I can convince people that I'm, you know, very, like, chill and like oh yeah that's fine and inside I'm just like oh my god <laughs> yeah 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 cool. yeah mm. so yeah, yeah my final question for you I guess is how you feel your cop by contributing to community create community creativity and that kind of thing and how you balance your commercial interests with creative fulfillment having all these bigger you know yeah. organizations working with H&M and the Australian Open and yeah um it can be quite difficult like I definitely have had some pretty big burnout moments like um some really big um like uh imposter syndrome moments like I've suffered from staying up all night thinking about how I'm not going to execute a job properly and like my creativity won't be like accepted in that space or people won't get it or I won't be able to technically do it um uh, with Stay Soft, less of that. It's more with X Floss, I think, because X Floss is such an expression of like kind of my inner world. Whereas Stay Soft, like I think I, I've got my head around that part. You know, yeah. I'm like I love what I do there. I know what I do there. It's minimal intervention. I've got all my people who love the space. I've got all the market stalls who love the space. That's just fulfilling. You're a facilitator yeah. at this point. Yeah. I'm not like showing who I am through that. I'm Mm. more just like you said earlier, engaging with my community in a way that I know how and a way that I'm able to, which is by providing a beautiful, soft, diverse space that people can work in for an accessible rate and come to a beautiful market in and some, you know, um, bringing people together essentially um, through their artistry. But with Floss, I have... It's it's a love-hate relationship, always mm. will be, I think, because, you know, 
like a, um, a musician or an artist or anything like I, it is the way I show my inner world and it might not be as explicit as a lyric or um, you know a, a painting but at the end of the day it is like my expression is tied in with it so when I am doing you know H&M or Australian Open or whatever I'm like freaking out Mm. I'm freaking out beforehand. Yeah. I'm lying up in bed being like, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be able to do it. It's going to fall down. It's going to go off. <laughs> it's going to, like, they're going to hate it, mm. you know, and I just have to fucking work through that with mm. my therapist and my little things that I do for myself. Like, I write and I read tarot and I do yoga and I have all these little things that keep me safe and warm and make me feel at ease and that's how I deal with it and just create like I live a very creative life you mm. know and with my friends and have beautiful dinner parties and you know enjoy cooking food and reading and drawing and playing guitar and all these like creative things that keep me feeling like it's okay mm. like I'm I'm allowed to do these big things and it's supported by my Circle Pretty much, and a like, lot of self care. A lot of self care, and like at the end of the day, I'm just I'm still a hippie. <laughs> like, mm, yeah, I'm a hippie yeah. in disguise, and I think like as people get to know me, they're like, oh shit, <laughs> true. <laughs> you're like a real hippie. Yeah, you're yeah, like a real yeah. hippie. Like I live alone in a cottage in the bush, yeah. you know, and hang out with my butterflies, <laughs> like, and that's why I'm able to execute what I do. Mm. If I didn't like, if I didn't move out to the bush a couple of years ago, I don't think I would have been able to do the. AI and everything the way I have. Mm, keeping yeah. that kind of like urban separation or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I need it. Like I am able to live my cosmopolitan, fast, demanding life in the city because I have a little bush cottage where no one needs anything from me and I can literally just like talk to the animals and hang out like fucking Snow White. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I do. <laughs> Like when you don't see me, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing. I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, Kayla, thank you so much for joining me and coming on, making space. It was amazing chatting with you. Yes. Cheers. Amazing, doll. Ching ching.